everyone. Welcome to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. And it's book club. And I am really excited. Before we pressed record, I was just talking about how much I enjoyed rereading this book. And oh, I'm excited. It's it's a fun book. I, I have so much to say about it, so I don't want to like start talking about it now, but we'll get into it. Well, let's do a quick highs and lows, and then let's talk about this book. Yes. What's your high? Can I go backwards? Because I think that in order to understand my high, I have to say my low first. Okay. So my low is that I feel like I'm kind of stewing in uncertainty, which is incredibly dramatic. I realize that. I just am feeling a tremendous amount of uncertainty around what is next for rom-com pods and just everything associated with that. So to back up, in the spring, we were working on two shows simultaneously. I know I've been dangling this secret show for so long, and I really hope that I can tell you what it is soon, but I'm, I'm going to stop trying to predict when I can do that because I keep being uh-huh. wrong. The latest is that it's going to come out in January, and I think that date is going to stick, so I should be able to tell you soon. But anyway, in the spring, I was working on those two shows simultaneously, Showmance and this new show, and I was so busy. Then the summer came, and I was like, oh, how nice that I'll have a little bit of a break after we're done with the heavy lifting of like writing and casting and recording. And, you know, I've said that I have a lighter client load right now. So I've just kind of been, you know, taking it easy. And, you know, it's it didn't strike me as weird that things are slow over the summer just because, you know, people go on vacations and I feel like summer's slow in a lot of industries. And I just, I really thought that by September, October, I would know what my next project is. And I don't. And, you know, we're at this point where we can't, self-fund rom-com pods anymore so we need we need partnership and money from other people to do it so we're pitching and we have a lot of meetings and you know the meetings take so long to schedule and you know we've had a couple of generals but you know we have two ideas that we really like but I don't know that they're getting traction and we've been pitching the tv show and I said to myself that I wasn't gonna let myself get excited about it and I totally got excited about it and yeah you know, How could you not? Yeah. And we've had like three pitches and they've all been really nice and positive. Like they've liked us and they've liked the idea, but it's it's ultimately been passes. And so I just I feel I feel like I'm in the messy middle part and I I'm I'm not pessimistic about it, but I just it really kills me not to know what's next. And I just feel I just feel really knotted up about it. That's, I'm so sorry. That's so, that's so valid. I would feel exactly the same way. I do think this is my, this is just me as your friend. I really think once the new one comes out, I think there's going to be a lot of demand. I do too. People will see like what this is like, I mean, I haven't listened, but I just know some of the things you've told me and it just sounds so amazing. Can I listen? Is that, am I allowed? Yeah, yeah. Because I feel Okay, I can send I, you the first I, few episodes. I feel like there's so many rules with this one, but I just I mean, don't post people, it on the internet. But yeah, under, no, no, under I, the I would never under the friend. Yeah, yeah, I completely can. Well, yeah, I've listened to the other ones under the friend. Yeah. I wasn't sure because this one's owned by somebody else if I was even allowed. Yeah, but I just think that once people see what you're capable of, I think not that they didn't with rom-com pods, but there's going to be so much splash around this new one. I hope so. I so. hope you're right. And that's what I'm telling myself, too. But, you know, because this one has been pushed out so many times that there's also not a level of disappointment, but just a level of stewiness over it, too, because it was supposed to come out in September and then and then November and now January. Then I'm like, oh, I'm just I'm ready for the next thing. And the next thing isn't here yet. And yeah, that's really hard. I'm sorry. Thank you. So that's my low. And I do think you're so talented that it's going to work out. Um, but I, I do think that that sucks. I hope so. I hope you're right. And and I'm usually right. <laughs> I mean, about work stuff. I yeah. feel like I've had a lot of conversations like this with friends. And I always predict that I, I'm always right. Good. I'm, I'm, I'm only friends with really smart, talented people. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm going to I'm but, going to save this audio and come back to you with some angry mm-hmm 
letters from the manager if you are wrong. I'm not wrong. I'm completely right. This is a shitty time, but what you guys are putting out is so good that it's going to work. So that is my low. <laughs> my high is that I, I took on a new client. I said that I've been pur- slightly purposefully underemployed the past all of 2021, really. So I took on a new client. I'm, I'm working with Scribd again, who I worked with a while ago in 2019. So it's like there's a comfort level that I know the team and I know the business already. And I'm doing some work with them. And I'm feeling really productive. I think that I was I was talking to my friend Allie. We had uh, drinks a couple weeks ago. And I was telling her that I was like, I'm busier, but I also feel more productive. And she was like, you know, I feel like sometimes when you don't have a lot on your calendar, it's hard to be productive because you just keep procrastinating. You're like, oh, I can do it later. I can do it anytime. And then you don't do it. And I agree. I don't know if this is healthy boundaries, but I'm like, my calendar is packed, but I feel more productive because I'm like, okay, I have to do these things. And even with writing my book, like I'm like, okay, I have this time blocked off on my calendar. I have to do it because otherwise I won't have time to do it. Yeah. So in that way, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling productive. I'm making more money, which is a good way to wait out some of the uncertainty with podcast stuff. Um, And then my other uh, micro high, it's not a micro high, it's a real high, is that my sweater is fucking cruising. Everything else in my life is uncertain. I'm very certain about my sweater. That's your sweater is looking great. I'm impressed. I, I thought I was going to burn out on it, but like I might finish this by mid-November. We'll see. I'm excited for you. Imagine being able to actually wear your sweater while it's cold. Me too. And I think this is the right, (laughs) this is the right weight because my last sweater was so thick that it was just unwearable. So I think this one will actually be wearable. Yeah. So that's my high and my low. I've been monopolizing this conversation. Tell me your high oh, I've, and or I've got low. a lot to share. I've okay. got a lot to share. Okay. It's kind of it's kind of three different little stories. Okay. Um the first one, which we'll get to obsessions, I was sent an American girl doll in the mail today. I'm <laughs> ragingly jealous. Ragingly I opened up jealous. this box and I was like, what the hell? And then I was like, oh my God. The low there is that I just texted my sister and was like, oh, my God, best news ever. I got an American doll. Zoe's going to flip. And Becca was like, "Um, Zoe's not really into dolls yet. And that's a really nice doll. So you should save it. So I have to save it. She's not wrong, though. I feel like she'll appreciate it when she's a little bit older. We don't waste the American girl doll yet. So I'm going to save it. But I can't wait to give it to her. My love of my American girl dolls was like a key personality trait for me when I was a kid. Um, me too. And my mom like made me all the clothes for Kirsten because like they weren't going to shell out like 80 bucks an outfit. So they um, I had like all homemade outfits. And my mom was like such a good seamstress. Did she keep them? Yeah. Oh, they're my saved God. in a box somewhere. Oh, with my like God. Kirsten, who has like super ratty hair. But now we have a new Kirsten. <laughs> I'm very excited for this journey for Zoe and possibly I want to take out old Kirsten old Kirsten and new Kirsten and like see like the before and the after it's like the Barbie dolls like before going out and then after it's like um did you ever send your American girl doll to the doll hospital no I didn't but my one of my friends did I think its arm broke off I think her brother like yanked off its arm but when you send your doll to the hospital it comes back pristine like they fix you know any marks on it and they like their hair is nicer and it just it comes back looking a lot nicer and so I feel like it's the before and after yeah that's really funny yeah that's what this is gonna be like and it also she came back with a cast oh that's so cute so cute that's so cute okay then I have another story of what happened to me last night so first of all the high of it was my friend Molly threw this amazing dinner for Neely and Chloe the um they have like a, a handbags brand um they're I think they're Tori Birch's nieces maybe oh okay. but um they were lovely the dinner was outside it was just like a really beautiful night but the low was I wore like these like four inch um espadrille re- wedges and like a dress that was short and like honestly it was a size too small so it was like a little tight um 
<laughs> and I was listening to the audiobook because I was cramming to listen to the book, re-listen to the book before we um before we recorded today. And I wasn't paying attention to the Uber driver. And they just dropped me off at what I thought was Molly's house. It wasn't Molly's house. It's on the battery. And right now the battery so the battery is like the area by the ocean um or like the yeah i guess the ocean um at the like most southern tip of charleston it's like a really pretty area but they're redoing the whole walkway there so i get out and there's no way for me to walk where i needed to walk so i see like this dirt trail and i'm like it's fine i'll just walk down this i didn't realize at first of all i was half a mile away in these like four inch espadrilles then i'm continuing to walk and not really paying attention and walking along this dirt path and I just suddenly I like look around me and realize that it's completely enclosed in fence <laughs> and I can't get out. <laughs> so this is where what I was wearing really comes into play. I was like, well, I can scale the fence. Grace, no, or, why didn't you just turn around? Because I was I was already late for dinner and I'd already walked like almost half a mile in this Grace, on this path. No. So then I find a crack in the fence and I'm like, I can move the fence and get through this. So I'm I like pull apart the fence and like just get like one leg through. I mean, I'm probably showing my underwear to anyone who's walking by. And then I push it a little bit further and I get the other like I get my arm through and I'm pretty much through. (laughs) And then this really cute couple is like walking on the proper side of the road and they came over and like helped me. They're like, what happened here? And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to this dinner party. So I'm all dressed up and I accidentally got like trapped in here, like light sided trespassing. Ha ha ha. Well, the guy like helped me pull the fence apart. And then we're like walking. And the girl was like, I don't know if this is a good time to tell you this, but I love your blog. <laughs> and I was just like the most embarrassed. I was like, I hope that this gives you some style inspiration for what to wear like while walking, while like trespassing on like a dirt path um, in Charleston. <laughs> so we had a really good laugh. But I was like, what is my life? Honestly, that's better than I thought because I thought the story was going towards injury, like that you just like sliced open your entire body on a fence. I didn't injure myself, but I wore those red Stuart Weitzman espadrilles that I love so much and um your the center, ones that stage shoes. center stage mm-hmm. and they're dirty I have to figure out how to clean them mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'm sure I can like I have like all that stain solution from the laundress and I think that'll help but I was just like what are the odds of this happening and this like lovely couple and the guy was like so what's a blog and like I had to like teach him what a blog was it was it was like pure comedy oh my god so that's not like a real low because it was funny, but I was just like, this is a, this is what a time like a, to meet somebody. What a time. Yes. And then my other high, like this is the last of it. There's no matching low for this one is I have a fun weekend coming up. I'm reading Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil right now. And we're going to go tour that house, the Mercer house. We're going to go to the SCAD museum, have some good like dinner reservations set up. But then like, after that had already been planned, my boyfriend was like, it's one of my best friend's 40th birthdays on Friday night. So we moved things around a little. So now we're going to fly into New York, meet up in New York for like 16 hours, go to this birthday party, then fly to Savannah the next day, stay in Savannah for two nights and then drive home. So I'm super excited. I haven't been to New York since I guess the summer. Yeah. When are you coming not on a 16 hour trip when I'm not here? I don't know. Maybe during the holidays. I'm like, really? I keep saying I just want to stay home and do like local trips and then things happen and I don't do that. But I'd like to come for the holidays. So we'll see about that. So I'm excited. It'll be a fun little like like whirlwind. Yeah, that sounds fun. I've never been to Savannah. I haven't either. And it's look, it looks like I've heard that it's like a weirder Charleston. Okay, into it. Yeah. Into it. Yeah. Should we get into this book? Yes. Okay, so this month we read A Special Place for Women by Laura Henkin, and it came out back in May, and the minute that we both finished it, we were like, this has to be our October book club pick, which, I don't know, that's like a hint at what's to come, but there are spoilers. We're going to talk about spoilers, and I don't think this book would be as enjoyable if you know the spoilers. So if you're planning to read this book, Either fast forward to the very end of the episode or 
pause it here because spoilers ahead. Yes. So Jillian is a journalist who's recently returned to work after her mother's death from cancer. She's attending a restaurant opening for a Cuban restaurant owned by her childhood friend, Raph. There, she meets Margot Wilding, a socialite turned CEO of an astrology app, who is rumored to be associated with Nevertheless, and Nevertheless is a buzzy, women's-only members club in New York. So Jillian's bad luck continues as the website that she writes for folds. So she gets in touch with her old editor slash work crush, Miles, to see if he can help her out with some freelance work. And after all of her pitches flop in a moment of desperation, she pitches that she can infiltrate nevertheless and report on what's happening there. And this isn't quite enough of a hook for him, so she doubles down and says that she wants to write about how Nevertheless took down Nicole Wu Martin, who was New York City's first female mayor, who went down in a scandal after an affair with a young staffer. And Miles enthusiastically agrees to this story. So she convinces Raph to help her by pretending that they're dating and bringing her to a party. At the party, she chats with Caroline, who she later learns is Margot's co-founder of Nevertheless, and also a political strategist. That week, she gets a mysterious invite delivered via napkin at her local coffee shop to visit Nevertheless. At her first visit, she attends a fireside chat on salary negotiation. This sounds like a chat I would like to attend with a notable female billionaire. And Well, I want to attend to get $50,000. Totally. On the surface, nevertheless, seems to be an elitist, kind of like faux feminist club that has some really like woo-woo undertones. And after a few visits as a trial member, Jillian is invited to become a full member, which is great until she realizes that she'll have to sign a contract with a non-disclosure and non-disparagement clause, which throws a wrench into her reporting. But she's too far in to turn back, so she decides to sign it anyway and deal with it. During her visits to the clubhouse, Jillian also noted an unmarked door that seems off limits to members. She also notices that the senior members are constantly looking at the door. She assumes that behind the door is where the club's more nefarious dealings happen. Jillian starts trying to ingratiate herself into the senior members to gain entry. She gets in with them by agreeing to write an anonymous hit piece on a conservative judge who is scheduled to hear an abortion case and who nevertheless is trying to take down. But as Jillian gets deeper and deeper into the club, the lines blur between her professional goal of exposing the club and her growing relationships with the woman, some of who she's starting to be real genuine friends with. She even goes so far to accept Margot's offer to stay rent-free in her aunt's apartment after Jillian had to sell her childhood home after her mother's death. So once Jillian is in, she learns, this is the twist, that the inner circle of Nevertheless are part of a coven of witches that was originally founded by Margot and Caroline's great-grandmothers. And they're using witchcraft to harness power to solve gender inequality. And when Jillian discovers this, she wants to run, but she realizes that this is a different, even bigger story, that these super elite women of Manhattan think they're using witchcraft and participating in rituals. So Jillian goes through with this initiation ceremony into the coven, and after her initiation, she's offered a spell, and Margot offers to help Jillian contact her dead mother, but Caroline stops them and says they don't do that kind of magic here. And it's clear that there's kind of a power struggle between the two founders of the coven and nevertheless, and instead, they agree to cast a spell to get Raph to tell Jillian that he loves her because they're fake dating, and Jillian's playing along. Shell-shocked after her initiation and participation in the ritual, Jillian goes to Raph's apartment. That night, they sleep together for the first time. The next morning, Jillian is mortified and fears she's ruined their friendship. When she tries to backpedal, Raph tells her he loves her, and then she rejects him. For a few days, she avoids the club and its members until Margot summons her back for a planning meeting with the inner circle for a trip upstate for Samhain, the night of the year when magic is most potent. As Margot tells her about the previous year's trips, she confides that they used their magic to help Nicole Wu Martin get elected as mayor, who at the time was 10 points behind in the polls. But there's a whiff of something that went very wrong. So on the weekend of Samhain, 
Caroline gets struck with a stomach flu and can't join. So the other members head to Margot's upstate house without her. And before the ceremony, Jillian has a private moment with Margot and asks her about the rift between her and Caroline. And while Margot's vague, she does tell her that Nevertheless was founded with the goal of using their magic to elect the first female president. And at the ritual later that night, they break all of Caroline's rules. They drink while they're doing magic. They end up summoning Jillian's dead mother. Um, and the power of the experience of talking to her mother leads Jillian to have a change of heart. She no longer wants to expose the club. Upon return, Caroline learns that they violated her rules and she and Margot have a public blow up. That night, Margot comes to Jillian privately with a plan to oust Caroline and tells Jillian that she's the great-granddaughter of the third founding member of the coven. Margot had used a summoning spell to find Jillian. And afterwards, Jillian is seething at Margot's manipulation of her, especially that she used her dead mother to get Jillian on her side. She reverses it and decides to write the article and hatches a plan to sneak her editor and a fact checker into Nevertheless to see a ritual and verify the story. So the night of the ritual, everything goes to shit. Uh, Before they can confront Caroline, Caroline ends up confronting Jillian about the article that she's writing and catches her recording the ceremony with her phone. And uh, there's a huge confrontation, a huge fight between Caroline and Margot. And in Jillian's haste to escape, she ends up knocking over, I think she knocks over a candle, and ends up setting the clubhouse on fire and burning it down. So after the chaos, Jillian once again goes to Raph, and this time she tells him that she wants to be with him. Um, And while she's waiting for the other shoe to drop, days later, Margot and Caroline come to see Jillian at the bar where she works and tells her that they're planning to rebuild the coven and they want to do it differently this time in a more kind of equal way, and they invite her to join them. I can't wait to talk about this, but let's take an ad break to talk about one of my personal favorite sponsors because today's episode is also sponsored by Care Of. I really love how Care Of combines high-quality products with personalization. I'm a huge fan of their individually wrapped daily packets of vitamins, which make it so, so easy to get back into an easy-to-follow routine. Okay, so I'm going to tell you how it works. You're going to go online and you take an in-depth quiz. They're going to ask you questions about your diet, health concerns, and lifestyle, and this just helps them to figure out exactly how they're going to help you address your own specific wellness goals. From there, they're going to give you a personalized recommendation tailored to your unique health needs. And you can retake the quiz at any time as your goals might change, or you can adjust your pack at any time too. It's really, really easy. From there, you'll get a personalized subscription delivered to your door every month. You'll never have to worry about running out. I really love how easy they make it. There's no old person pill case. There's no confusing trips to the drugstore. There's no taking up like a whole shelf in your cabinet with with different vitamins and supplements. I also really love that Care Of is so transparent about the research and the sourcing behind each one of their products. I mean, I have personally found that figuring out vitamins and supplements can be really confusing. So I love this company, and we have a code for you. For 50% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code BOP50. That's 50% off your first Care Of order. Just go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code BOP50. Back to the episode. All right, Grace, let's get into this. I'm curious, what drew you to this book in the first place? Oh, so I really love Laura Hankin. I loved Happy and You Know It. And me too. I just think she's a great writer and also super nice. Like her on her Instagram, I hate to be like, this person seems like someone I'd be friends with, but she does. And she's really active in the DMs, but also feels very genuine. And so I was like, I can't wait to read her next book. And Grace, I was thinking the same thing. Like if I could draft up like an author circle of friends, I think that her and Emily Henry would be top of my list. Like I think they both just seem so cool and like fun and like we'd really get along. Well, we need to throw Robin Lee and Taylor Jenkins Reid in there too. Oh my gosh, there's so many. There's There's so many. many. But we can't abandon Robin. I feel like Robin was the first author we became friends with. But yes, I love I love those two as well. So I love Laura. I also am like very intrigued by anything about books like The, uh, the Wing. There's another book which we'll talk about, which I'm glad I re- I had to re-listen to this because there's another book about a women's club that I read, which is Murdery. And I kept twisting the two in my head about what happened. So I had to get clarity on which plot was which. Yeah, totally. 
What about you? I feel like I'll just read, I'll read anything about startup culture. And this book kind of like toes the line because nevertheless is a startup. But as we learn, it's also a coven. I'm just so interested in anything about especially women-centric startup culture. And I've read all of the books, and I think they all get it pretty wrong to varying degrees. And this one, I feel like, was spot on. I, I feel like everything about this was spot on. I feel like the like the satire of it was spot on in terms of, like, so many women I know are into witchy shit. Like, it's so... It, this is so plausible. It's like a hop, skip, and a jump from reality. I mean, I feel like I've met these and women before at New York events. Totally. Totally. Like, the satire of it was so spot on. The portrayal of New York was so spot on. The startup culture element was so spot on. I can't really speak for if the witchcraft is spot on, but I imagine it is. Like, the humor, I just, everything about this book was so sharp. Yes. I will tell you, I, I laughed a little at, a, like, a lot of the feminist things, like, oh, our female security guard and this and that. Like, it was Absolutely. so over the top. But, like, again, I've met women just like this. You, you know, the, that party in the beginning of the book, it kind of, like, gave me flashbacks. Like, a little bit of just, like, ooh, from my days in New York when I had to go to so many different events and things for work. Just, like, the small talk and the, like, meaningless conversation. I think at one point Jillian was, like, talking about how she asked questions that she thought she was supposed to ask. And I was like, oh, I relate to that so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get further, I feel like the question we have to address is what did you think the twist was going to be? So before I read this, I guess I probably saw on Goodreads that there was a big twist halfway through the book. So I knew there was a twist coming, but I didn't know what it was. Did you did you guess the twist? What did you think the twist was going to no, be? No, but like I got a, like a lot of people were like, "Watch out! It goes off the rails. It gets wild." And I was like, "What could it possibly be?" In my head, I thought it was just going to be something really nefarious, like something just like uh, super under the table. Like maybe they were paying off politicians or just doing something like illegal or bad. I thought maybe there'd be some murder. Um, I definitely thought we were headed for yeah. murder. I thought there was going to be like a vigilante justice type plot where especially with the judge where at one point it's brought up that there is a judge in New York who's seeing uh, an abortion case and is going to rule against choice and they they go to his house and they break in and they find some records to expose him and I was like I think that there's a murder for hire plot basically where they're like going around and avenging all of the women and like killing bad men or like ruining their lives. And I thought that was going to be it. And I thought it was going to get to the point where like, maybe it wasn't always murder, but like that they needed to murder somebody. Yeah. But in hindsight, I was saying this to you earlier. Well, two observations in, in listening to this book the um, second time around. First of all, Laura Hankin has the perfect voice for audiobooks. I was, oh my God, I agree. She did such a good job and even the character voices were really spot yes. on and i was realizing i don't think i know it it happens because i i know for instance robin lee narrated the audiobook of the idea of you which i i have not listened to but i think it's fairly uncommon for authors to narrate their own audiobooks because it's it's hard it's a skill yes. it's not just reading it's like voice acting and entertaining and and she did such a good job she really did she should become a professional audio. I was like, if writing doesn't work to her out, yeah, she'd be good for like, yeah. The other thing I was gonna say with regard to the twist to get it back, back on track is, she really dropped in a lot of clues as to what it would, what what the twist would be. We just didn't pick up on it because this whole like mainstream like fascination with astrology and witchcraft is so normal now like it's it's everywhere like everyone like half of my girlfriends have like crystals that they sleep with or like bring to the like I take my yoga class and like there's women putting crystals on their mats or like casting spells or like we had that store across the street from us that had the spell kits and stuff so it's oh, so yeah. mainstream at this point like I mean we did a tarot reading when we like at the beginning of the year. So I didn't, it just went over my head. I was like, yeah, that's so normal. And then it went like off the rails. She did a good job misdirecting too, because at one point Margot is, is annoyed by people bringing up witch references. Yes. And she's annoyed because she is a real witch versus they're just yeah. appropriating witch culture basically. Yeah. And so 
it, it, it was a good job of misdirection where like when when it all came together, you were like, oh, yeah. yeah. I agree, though. I did not see the witch stuff coming. No. That would have been very low on my list. Yeah, when she was, like, walking out and t- describing the dirt floor, I was like, someone's going to get murdered. But, yeah. Totally. Totally. What did you think about Jillian as a character? I loved this character. I I think that I have some similarities with this character in terms of being sarcastic and skeptical. I wouldn't say I'm skeptical to the degree that Jillian is, but like I definitely recognized a lot of myself in her. And this really felt to me like a character that I would be friends with. Like we were talking, um, I think it was in last month's book club about the difference between books you like and characters you want to be friends with. And I think we've, you know, we've talked about some books where we were like, we definitely wouldn't be friends with these characters. Like Franzi from The Magic of Found Objects was somebody I enjoyed reading about, but I wouldn't be friends with. Whereas Jillian, I was like, yes, we would be friends. I have only met Laura Hankin a few times. She reminds me of Laura a lot. I think this, I don't, I don't know what Laura would say, but she feels like she's kind of based off of Laura. And the other thing is like, I also very much agreed in Jillian's taste in men like I feel like Raph and Miles are both love interests that I would be interested in that is so funny so I gotta tell you like I love you and I think that I would love Laura I didn't like her as a character there was just you didn't yeah there was just things I couldn't get past I felt like in her betrayal to Libby I was just really put off by that especially given that this was something Libby wanted so badly and Jillian was just doing it for the story I know she had a change of heart she just struck me as like incredibly disloyal and someone I couldn't trust and I didn't like her for those reasons I felt like she I liked her sense of humor but I couldn't get past the disloyalty thing it also made me really think I'd be the worst journalist because I'd immediately become friends with all the women be like I can't write this story so I just can't do someone who takes other people down. And I know that she was really desperate for work and grasping for straws. But I just, I just, I didn't like her. I didn't like what she was doing with the piece. I found her to be disloyal. And the the thing with Libby, like, really broke my heart. It was sad for me, but it didn't break my heart. And I... I thought Laura did a good job walking the line of justifying why Jillian thought she was doing this. And also, you know, realistically, it's a person that she met five times that, you know, who had been very nice and welcoming to her, but like that she'd kind of had an eye roll, an eye roll about like, I didn't think that. And maybe I'm now that I'm thinking about it, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm like, I didn't feel like Jillian was like really duplicitous where Jillian was like, oh my God, you're my best friend too. Like, I'm so excited. And was like hanging out with her and then betraying her. Like she was just someone that she hung out with at the club mostly. I don't know. But yeah. then she she went to her I house just... that time and I don't know. It didn't bother me. Yeah. I, I... And the family stuff. Like she was reuniting with her family and she's like, good for you. I'm so glad. Then she's taking that information and presenting it to Carolyn to get preference for the inner circle yeah oh but then she also thought that it was like a crappy club to be a part of anyway so in some way it was like she was saving Libby from getting deeper in it I guess I just feel like I feel like me in my 20s I could really relate to Libby like just wanting to be liked like what like that over eagerness like there was a sad line which like Laura is such a great writer where it was like Libby like getting in line to like cut Caroline's toenails or something <laughs> And I just felt like Libby was so endearing and sweet. And I just felt like if she wants to be in that club that badly, I would have been like, okay, I'm not going to do this. Like this person has like done so much for me. She's so kind. I don't want to like ruin her chances. And like to use that information about her family. I don't know. Like it was so wonderful that she was finally reuniting with her parents. And then she took that information and just fucked her. I mean, it, it was a shitty thing to do, but I I guess I got her motivation. I don't know. I, I It's not changing it for me. I still would want to be her friend. But regardless of that, I thought she was the perfect character for this story. Like, it was just so well thought out because she's like yes. this non-believer. So she's inherently skeptical, but she's also searching for belonging and you know, with her mother having died, she's like kind of adrift and susceptible to something culty or, or, or what have you. So I thought it was I thought it was just so 
perfectly done of like Jillian being the right character for this story. Yes. Disloyalty aside, I liked her personality and I liked her little like snarkiness and skepticism. Like there was one scene at the ball where I forget what she said about fall, like something with a knife or like it was it was just really funny. And I was like, I love her sense of humor. The descriptions, like the way that she perceived the world was like really funny and astute. And I like I laughed at being in her head and like how she saw the world. Yes. I also really felt for her. I thought the the portrayal of the time after her mother died was so poignant and so well done. And, you know, my mom died when I was a teenager, so I couldn't really relate to it then because I was more of a child. But, you know, when my uncle, who I was really close with, died and I was kind of his next of kin when he died a few years ago, and it's like having to deal with the house, like having like just having to deal with the administration around somebody's life and death is like, And, like, Jillian was very much in the thick of that and, like, also missing them. Like, I just thought that that was so astutely written. Yeah. What about the little love triangle between Jillian and Raph and Miles? I thought – Who were you team? Were you team Raph or team Miles? It sounds like you were team both. I was – well, I was team both, but I was definitely team Raph. The – I mean, first of all, I think this is her first love plot because I don't think Happy and You Know It really had a love plot, did it? I feel like there was a breakup. Like, wasn't she in a band yeah. with, like, with her her boyfriend? Yeah, her ex-boyfriend. and But that was, like, the before. And I think, I don't yeah. think that any of that happened in the book. She just, like, mentioned it as backstory. I think so, too. So I thought it was really fun. Like, this book did a lot. Like, it had the friendship stuff. It had the love plot. It had this, like, whole wing slash women's club satire. Like, this this book did a lot. It had witches. Witches. <laughs> yes. Witches and startups. Like, this is our ideal book. But I thought the love plot was, I mean, it was a little light on the love. I would have liked more relationship. But I thought it was really well done. There was that moment after she went to her initiation and she was she went back to she went to Raph's house in this like moan of desperation and she was like really shook up and she was taking a shower and she was like can you stay it, it, you know it was clear from being in her head that she already liked him and I was like bang do it come on like I was rooting so hard for them to get together so I mean I was definitely team Raph but I guess I can understand who Miles was and her attraction to him of like the ungettable kind of like perfect status perfect on paper like status guy I don't know I I really I didn't like Miles but I loved Raph I I understood why she had a crush on a crush on Miles I can understand the crush but I was also just like he's married like he's your boss like let's maybe not go there yeah what did you think of the love triangle Um, I liked it a lot, but I was just like from day one, I was like, well, obviously these two need to be together with Raph and Jillian. And I felt like Miles was just a little distraction. So I was happy with how it wound up. Yeah, it was really predictable kind of from all sides. But I I guess that didn't bother me in the least because there was so much more going on in the book that having this like simple love plot of like, oh, we're going to pretend to be dating and oh, we're actually in love. Like it didn't bother me at Uh all. I was just, I was rooting really hard for them to get together because I liked their relationship too. Like that they were childhood friends and they were kind of like weirdos together and they got each other. Yeah. The part where he was talking to her about how he'd go and visit her mom while she was at college. Yes. And how like he realized it was more for him than for her when the mom went away for a couple of weeks. I was like, oh, I'm getting misty. Yeah. Can we talk about the startupness of this book? I guess. Yeah. On rereading, I'm like, it was less of a part of it than I thought, but that was something that I really gravitated to in my first reading, and especially the relationship dynamic between Caroline and Margot, because, you know, there's so many female-founded startups, and I'm not even saying about the ones I've worked for, but there's, I feel like there's these really salacious stories about, like, falling outs and infighting. Like, I'm thinking of, like, the away drama or stuff like that. There's always drama. And I feel like I feel like that's a lot of times the media like they just love to portray that like women can't just be friends and like run a successful business together. But, you know, sometimes there is some drama. I was I was also living for it. I feel like there was also drama with (laughs) the wing itself. Like I, I know that there was some drama with Audrey Gelman, but I can't remember what it was. I can't either. There was a whole article about what went wrong with the wing. Yeah. I read it when it came out, but I don't remember what happened now in one year and out the other. You've been to the wing, right? 
No, I haven't oh. actually. I was I was always a member of Soho House when I lived in New York. And so I was like, and I was also kind of irritated at the wing. It's like, why would you like, obviously like it's a, it's great to have a safe space for women and things. And I liked that they had like a podcast room and like a, a glam room to like get ready. But like the whole reason that I was a member of Soho House was so that for meetings and things, I could take them there or have a place to work. Like what if you have a male client? Like it's just not realistic. That's why I never joined as well. I, I mean, Molly Chen, who was a guest of the podcast a while ago, was a member of the wing and she really liked it. And I remember her talking to her about it. And one of the things she really liked is while she was nursing after her first child was that it like felt like a very safe space where she could like, there was a nursing room there and like mm-hmm. it was very accepted and like, a comfortable place for her as like a new mother to be doing her work. So I do think it was a great place for some people. And I also know that from a community perspective, like not even as a place to take meetings, but just like the events, like people loved that. Yeah. But I agree with you. Like I never saw the appeal, but I do remember in the very earliest days of the wing, like before it expanded out of New York, be- when it, before it had multiple clubhouses and it just had that one clubhouse on, I guess it was like 20th or 21st in park. It being so... Oh, I thought it was in Dumbo. No, the first one was in Flatiron. And oh, okay. it was like... It it very much felt like this. Like it was on the top floor of a, you know, kind of like nondescript uh, building on a... It was on uh, 20th or 21st. So it was like kind of set in from, from Park. And like, if you didn't know what you were looking for, like you, it wouldn't have struck you as anything. And, you know, it, and it had the rooftop, et cetera. And it just... It felt, and you know, f- at the very beginning, it was like there was a huge wait list for membership and and like it was like, oh, do you know anyone who who's been to the wing? And I remember the first time I went there, it being like a really big deal, like being like, ooh, I get to see it. Like somebody invited me for a meeting or something. Yeah. I've never been, but um, I was I saw a lot of photos and things, and I thought it was really beautiful. And I I agree with you. I have a lot of friends who have had children, and like I've heard about them having to lock themselves in conference rooms to like pump and all of that. So that sounds horrible. So I think that if you just had a baby, it would be perfect. But like as a single woman living in New York, I was like, well, when I'm working, like there's always the chance of like maybe meeting a guy here or like wanting to take meetings here. So it didn't make sense for me. I I don't think. I moderated Laura's launch event for her book, and I I know I asked her, and I can't remember the answer, but I don't think she ever worked for a startup, but I just was so impressed by how right she got it. Like, everything from the co-founder dynamic of there being, like, a little bit of secret infighting, and then to, I thought it was so funny how grandiose, like, the mission or purpose statement was, like, nevertheless was trying to elect the first female president, where it's like, you know, everything yes. has, like, a huge mission or purpose statement, and it's like, you sell water cups or whatever like you sell something stupid not stupid but you sell something we're gonna change the world exactly and I thought with bottled water I thought I thought that was so funny and then I thought it was really funny about the members and I've I've been this person in the startup where it's like you're drinking the Kool-Aid you're so all in even though they didn't know everything like there was this moment towards the end where they were up on the roof and it comes out that Caroline had bribed Nicole Wu Martin Staffer to turn against her basically. And the other members didn't know. It was like they felt so betrayed because they'd like, they, they were all in on this. And I don't know, like, I just thought everything about this was so, it, it was everything I've been looking for in a startup book and just haven't seen portrayed well. Yes, I agree. I, I would agree. I also thought that the co-founder dynamic was really spot on because there was a line in there where it was like Caroline was realized that she was the brains and Margot was the heart. So like Caroline was doing all the hard work behind the scenes, but everyone loves Margot. And I've definitely seen startups like that where one is like much more charismatic and dynamic and everyone loves that person. But it turns out that person's actually not doing as much work behind the scenes as the other one. So I thought that that was um, pretty like really astute. And also them like reconciling their different visions for like what this company should be. Yes. Yes. Or like giving each other things when Margot was like, well, I really want you to be in the inner circle, but it's Caroline's right. pick this time. Right. Like she, like I owe her or something. I forgot what it was. Oh my God. I just, I, I thought this was so well done. I, I remember reading uh, this book called Self-Care a few, I think in oh, early 2020. I think I, 
it had a I great think I skipped cover. that because of you. It had a great cover. Yes. It was about like a, a health and wellness startup of some kind with two female founders. And I really wanted it to be great. And it wasn't like it kind of missed the mark. Like I think it a lot of books get right how hard it is to work at a startup, the hours, the pressure, et cetera. But I don't feel like they get the the drinking the Kool-Aid and the founder dynamic and like the rah-rahness of it. And like, I don't, I don't know. Like there's a feeling. It, there is such a feeling. I just think about like, it's so off topic, but like all the startups that we've worked at or like ones we'd visit. Cause even when we worked mm-hmm. at Bubble Bar, we got to go to like Warby Parker and like all these other startups. And it's like, it's just this like rah-rah where everyone believes they're like building the best thing in the world. And also like, weird forced social stuff with your coworkers. Yeah. Like this is getting off topic, but just the, uh, like, like I don't want to, I would not, if I was going back into the workforce, I would not want to work somewhere that had hap- like free beer starting at seven or something. I don't want to go home and be with my family. Like, I just think it like encourages this, like never leave kind of mentality, like stay all night and drink and work and, and bond with your coworkers. It um, does. But I think that might be an age thing because I think that was something I really valued in my twenties, especially, you know, like when I moved to New York, I didn't have friends because I had just moved here from another city. So like having that bond as both friends and coworkers was like really something I valued about it as opposed to just like, you know, that people clocked in, clocked out and like had their life outside of work. I liked the friendships, but I feel like the friendships I had, we took it out of the workplace, like you, me, Jackie, Ilana, because I I just remember like wanting to go home and work on my blog, frankly, because I was doing both at the time or like to spend time with my boyfriend. And I was like, I can't be here till nine o'clock. Were there, yeah. are there other startup books that you've, you've liked or enjoyed? Yes. So I kept mixing this one up with The Herd by Andrea Bartz, which I've was good also things about that. I haven't read it. It's good. I think you'd like it. It's, um, it, it this one went murdery. And so I was re-listening to this one and I was like, I, I know there's not a murder, but like I was mixing up different elements of the different clubs and things. So I'm glad I re-listened to it because I wasn't, I, I was mixing up a lot of details. Other books, I remember reading Startup by Doria Shafrir, and I thought that that really nailed like the more like male-dominated yeah. startup. So different from this one. A murdery one that I loved, which I still think you would probably enjoy, was One by One by Ruth Ware, where it's like this really pretentious, annoying startup. Like every single character is like deeply unlikable, um, but there's a, a murder and an avalanche in the Swiss Alps. So that oh. was like a fun one. And then a book neither of us liked was Uncanny Valley by Anna Wiener. Oh, I hate um, I, I really disliked this one. It started so strong. And it did. Then it was like, this should have been an article, not a book. Like, it really lost itself. <laughs> it did. It was so long. And just like, I think you taught me what the word overwritten means with that oh, book. Oh, it was so <laughs> overwritten. Yeah, we didn't like that one. No. I loved this one, though. I and loved, I loved this um, one. I loved One by One. I can't remember if I liked Startup, but I think I did. Yeah, I think that was more about a media startup. And I agree, like it was more about the male space than like the female space. And that's what I've been looking for a portrayal of. Yeah. Let's talk some more, but let's take a quick ad break first. So after 18 months of a pandemic, we're taking stock and we're thinking about how to cultivate more happiness in our lives. And maybe you are too. And maybe you need some help doing that. So you've been hearing us talk about BetterHelp for the past year, and maybe you're wondering, is BetterHelp right for me? We think BetterHelp is an awesome service that's right for pretty much everyone, but specifically, if you're looking to pinpoint or address anything that interferes with your happiness or prevents you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors who may be able to help. They make it really, really easy too. So first, you're going to fill out a simple online questionnaire that assesses your needs. Then they're going to ask you about your age, relationship status, past experience with therapy, and what you're looking to address. And then they will match you with your own licensed professional therapist. All of this in under 24 hours, which is so speedy. And then you can choose how you want to interact with them. You can message them anytime, no scheduling needed, or have phone or video sessions. It's really all about finding something that works best for you. And one thing that we really love is that it's not one size fits all. They have counselors who are specialized in pretty much everything, all kinds of specific issues from 
stress, anxiety, relationships, parenting, addictions, eating, sleeping, trauma, family conflict, LGBT matters, self-esteem, and more. All told, they have over 20,000 licensed professional therapists. And what's great is that if your first therapist isn't a fit, they make it free and easy to switch if you need to. And anything you share is always confidential. Best of all, it is more affordable than traditional online counseling and financial aid is available. So we would like you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash bad on paper. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash bad on paper. So the other type of book that this is in genre with is I love a ripped from the headlines book. I love something that's like a thinly veiled current events book. And I was thinking along the lines of like Grown by Tiffany D. Jackson, which was kind of about the R. Kelly case. And then um, Admission. Did you read Admission by Julie Buxbaum? Read that. I think at your recommendation. We were considering it as a book club pick at the time. And then Jennifer Weiner came out with one about the admissions scandal and somebody else did. And I was like, no more after that. Oh, I really liked admission. I I didn't actually care about the college admission scandal. We're talking about like the Lori Loughlin, Felicity Huffman one. I didn't really care about it in real life, but I, I really did like that book. But I was wondering, like, are there any current event stories that are happening now that you'd like to see a book about? Oof, that's so good. Um, I feel... I think I'd like to read a book about QAnon. Ooh. I think that would be really good. Either like I would like to read either the like a a, like a factual nonfiction unveiling of like everything QAnon because I still don't quite understand it. I feel like it just went in so many different directions between like the Wayfair thing and the child sex trafficking thing and like all the other shit. And frankly, I don't have time to like go down these ra- that rabbit hole, but I would love to sit and read a book about it or to read like a fictionalized take on that and like the insurrection and everything else that happened. Like I think that I think I'd be ready for that. Like I don't think I could. I've read a few books that were set during COVID and I was like, this is a lot. But um, yeah, I don't know how I feel about COVID books either. I could do QAnon because I love a cult. I love a conspiracy theory. And I think that would be interesting to me. Do you want to know the two things that I was thinking of? Yes. First, so this is a little bit delicate because I wouldn't want it to be, I don't know what I would want it to be, but I would read something that was a thinly veiled something based on Britney Spears. Oh, yes. I and would, her conservatorship. I would too. I would love that. And then the other thing I was thinking, and I didn't actually watch the documentary, um, because again, I'm not a big nonfiction person, but I would love something that was about LuLaRoe. Yes, I I was going to say MLMs. Like, I would love like a fictional. Yeah. And I would specifically not love it to be about the reps. I would love it to be about somebody high up in their corporate structure Uh and like how they were rationalizing this to themselves and like the, the fact that they were selling something that was like completely a false dream like I would love that yes I'm with you there so those are the two that I'm hoping for yeah the other thing I was surprised by is that I was surprised this wasn't a September or October release because it's it's a good Halloween book it is a good Halloween book but you know what I kind of love that she didn't because that made the twist like even better True. I don't, I mean, I don't think you necessarily get a choice. I think yeah. they just tell you when your book is coming out. So I, I don't know how much she had to do with it. Yeah. Um, but I know that our listeners last year, last year more than this year, I think maybe we put down, we, we like laid down the law a little too hard, but everyone was looking for spooky book wrecks. And I, I know you hate the word spooky. It, it makes my skin crawl, <laughs> but I also love um, a thriller, a horror, like just call it a horror book or a or a thriller. Yeah. And I'm not a very big spooky person either. Like, you know, I don't decorate for Halloween or anything or like, I don't really, I don't even care that much about dressing up for Halloween, but I do like witch books. I love witch books. Love them. Um, wait, so I have to recommend to you, I'm reading right now The X-Hex by Erin Sterling. I mentioned it a couple episodes ago. Grace, it is so good. Is it? Am I going to like it? It looked like kind of cheesy. It is kind of cheesy, but I think you'll like it. Okay. Maybe I'll read it. 
I'm, and I don't think that, you know, it's obviously set in October around Halloween, but I don't think I would care if it weren't Halloween. I think I would still enjoy reading it. Okay. And it's like a, it's like a romance. Like it's like a steamy, sexy romance with witches. I want to read, if I read anything you've recommended recently, it's that ghosted book that, yes, that that sounds more so like something I want to read. Yeah. And then the other series that I was thinking about with witches was I love the Discovery of Witches series. If anyone hasn't read that, like, oh my gosh, you're in for such a treat. Yes, I loved that. And I love the Alice Hoffman books around practical magic and the prequels and the sequels. And there's a whole like family of them. But I I love her writing. I haven't read the most recent one. I haven't read the other two. Yeah, I haven't read the newest one either, but I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Shall we get out of this book chat and into some end matter? Yes. What? Do we have Instagram obsessions this week? I do not. I didn't put one down. I have like 93 more knitting accounts, but I can't decide if people want to hear about it or if they're just like, okay, Becca, we get it. You're really into your sweater. Yeah. So I'm I didn't kind of, put anyone down. I have a lot of fashion, European fashion blogger wrecks from my trip, and I'm like, I don't need to tell everyone those either. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, yeah, Becca, we've all been thinking it, like enough with the knitting accounts. I'm thrilled for you. I'm glad you have a project. And I think that when I get really into paper flower making and I have like 25 paper flower making accounts to follow, (laughs) you'll indulge me. I honestly would love to follow those. What about on the obsession side? Okay, well, my newest one, which just happened before I had even worked on the outline, is Stony Clover and American Girl. Besides getting the doll, the pouch they sent me is so cute. It's I have the Kirsten pattern and it's just this beautiful blueprint. And then they put these amazing gold letters with my name on them. And I was just like, this is the prettiest thing ever. It's so cute. I want the Samantha pouch. It's like the houndstooth of her, the dress that she came with. Oh my gosh. It's so good. I just think they really nailed it. It's a real, like I I don't get excited about a a lot of collaborations anymore because it's kind of like, okay, I saw that I've been there, done that. And I was like, American Girl, it's just so genius. Well, it's also, it's like pretty chic. Like it's not overly, it's not not cheesy. Yeah, exactly. Like it doesn't have like, um, well, I don't think it has American Girl logos and it doesn't have like pictures of the dolls. Like it's just the pattern. Like it's kind of like almost a wink. It's just so smart. It's a little wink. Yeah. You can get a patch with like a doll's face on it. And obviously I wouldn't, but like the blue Kirsten pouch with my name in gold. I'm like this, I'm going to get a lot of use out of this. It's beautiful. Yeah. So that, but also TV. TV is real good right now. I watched all of you season two over the weekend. I think it's the best season. That you mean season three or season oh, two? Oh, sorry, season three. I, oh, okay. I was like, you waited? <laughs> no, no. I watch you as soon as it comes out. Uh, season three. So now there's a baby involved. It's the most murdery version of you yet. It's so good. Okay. And then Succession is back. And then there's two shows. I, have you watched Squid Game? No, I'm not going to. I started it's not it, my kind of show. I don't think it's my kind of show either, but I want to know like what it's about just because everyone's talking about it. That I like watched half an episode and I put it away because I was like, I'm not in the mood for this. But then also, have you watched Made? No, I haven't. That looks good. And that looks like something you'd really like. And then there's another one, Midnight Mass, which all my friends are obsessed with down here. Not all of them, but like Nick, Natalie. Oh, I haven't even heard of that. Yeah, Nick and Natalie have, we pretty much have spot on taste in like murdery shit and, and scary stuff. And they were like, I started, I've watched the first two episodes and it's really slow, but they're like, you have to get to like episode four and then it's amazing. Hmm. But I don't know that okay. I'm going to get to episode four because it just is still so slow. So we'll, okay. s- we'll see. But I just think the fall TV lineup in general is so strong right now. My obsession is also TV. So the center of our Venn diagram is succession. Yes. Oh my God. So much happened in the first episode of the third season. Like it was like a full season in an episode. It was really stressful. It was so stressful. You told me that it was stressful stressful. and that maybe it wasn't a good idea for me to watch it because I was like tired and wanting something mellow. And I went and I watched it and I was like, oh, I'm stressed. I So I watched it on Sunday night when it aired and I'd just come back from upstate and I slept really terribly upstate. I kind of drew the short straw with the rooms, which was fine. I I didn't mind, but my bed was really uncomfortable. I also really laughed hard about in the book about when they went upstate and like their trip because I was like, oh, wow, I just took this trip and we didn't do witchcraft, but otherwise it was spot on. Yeah. And so on Sunday night, I I was like, I'm going to go to bed really early. And uh, 
I watched Succession at nine and then I was like, I'm going to go to bed. And afterwards I was like, I cannot go to bed. I need to watch something else to calm down. It was so stressful. Yeah. But enjoyable. I agree. And then the other TV obsession that I have is um, The Big Leap. You you would not like this. <laughs> so it's the show on Fox. I'm watching it on Hulu. It is with Scott Foley, who is like my ultimate TV crush. I love him. Yes, I know you do. And it's a show. He's a real. He's kind of like an evil reality TV producer. They're making this dance show where they're getting normal people to um, dance in Swan Lake. This doesn't sound and bad so yet. It's like pretty cheesy and emotionally manipulative. And I am so here for it. I feel so like that sounds like it. something I would like. Wait, sorry okay. to sorry to hijack you, but Scott Speedman, also from Felicity, is in season two of you. Sorry, why do I keep saying season two? Season three of you. Uh, he's not my Scott of choice, honestly, but like no. would take him in a pinch. Not mine either, but it's I don't think he's really been in much. And so it was fun to see him come back. I'm also still watching The American, so I'm having a full blown Felicity like reunion in my head. Um, <laughs> I love but that. But I'm. I'm really into The Big Leap. I, I watched the first two episodes and I was like kind of eye rolly about it. And I was like, this is pretty bad. But like, I'm so into Scott Foley and like, it's cute. And now I'm on episode five and I'm like, oh, wow, I'm fully committed to this show. I love that. What about books? I am reading and it's a slower book because it's like, it's just like, it's more literary. Um, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil by John Berendt. I'm reading it in preparation for Savannah, but I'm only like 70 pages in, so I probably won't have finished the whole book before the trip. But now because of that, we're going to tour the Mercer house. I just, I, I'm really enjoying the book and I will tell you more about it once I finish it because I'm not okay. far enough in. But I really like the writing. I like the depiction of Savannah and it seems like it's going to get a little bit scary. Okay. What are you reading? I mentioned that earlier in the episode, I already, already tried to sell you on it. I'm reading The X-Hex by Aaron Sterling. And Aaron Sterling is actually a pen name for Rachel Hawkins, who wrote The Woman Upstairs. And she wrote um, the Royals series, yes. too, that I really liked. I do love her books. Why is she writing this I'm, under a pen name? I don't know. I'm confused. I'm confused, so, too. This is a sexy witch book, which I, I get how that sounds. It's basically about... Uh, it's a second chance romance about a male and female witch in a small town in Georgia. And he's from like the founding family of the town. And she lives there and is a, I think she's a history professor. And he like has to come back to the town for this uh, ceremony. And they like come back into each other's lives and, and realize that they still like each other, which sounds crappy to me. I, I don't even think that sounds good, but the writing is really fun. Like it's like, I, th I think the writing is fun. And like, I like a sexy witch book. I'm sorry. You don't have to apologize. You're in a safe space. I don't know that I'm going to read it, but I'm happy for you. So I'm enjoying that. And then I'm also reading, and you know that I am a not the best nonfiction reader, but our friend Hitha Palapu, who was a past podcast guest very early on, has a new book out and it's called We're Speaking. And so I'm reading just like a chapter at a time and it is part biography of Kamala Harris, and then it is part like life and career advice inspired by Kamala's uh, life and journey. And I'm really enjoying it. And I'm also realizing how little I know about Kamala Harris's backstory. Like I was so obviously so excited to elect her, but then I realized that I don't know a ton about her backstory before she was like in national politics. So I'm also learning a lot. I'm really looking forward to reading that. I have my copy too, and I just haven't dove in yet, but I love, I mean, I love nonfiction. I just think that it sounds like a both inspirational book, but also just, I'd like to know more about Kamala's story. Yes, exactly. And if none of those appeal to you because you don't like sexy witches, what's wrong with you? We're excited to announce our November book club pick. Some of you might have guessed we are going to read Ghosts by Dolly Alderton. This is the book that I was talking about last week that I just finished. It is a British rom-com, kind of. It's not a traditional rom-com. It's about a woman who is single at 32. It starts at the beginning of the year and she has kind of this like crazy year in her dating life and it takes us through what happens. 
what I said after I finished it was I truly think this is the most accurate portrayal of modern dating that I have seen in a book. And so if you are single and on the apps, I really feel like you are going to like resonate with this book. But even if you're not, I feel like it's just an interesting peek into what dating is like right now. And it's set in London, so it's not it's not in the US, but I think you're going to relate to it so hard if you're dating. Oh my gosh, I'm really excited to talk about it. I just ordered my copy while we were talking, so I can't wait to read it. All right, well, I guess this is goodbye for now. Um, If you want... (laughs) (laughs) What a creepy way to end. What a creepy way to end. I don't know. I need more coffee. I guess this is goodbye for now. This is goodbye for now. For for this week. We'll be back next week. If you want more of us, though, we're on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. We have a Facebook group, which is also called Bad on Paper Podcast. I have a blog. It's thestripe.com. And then I'm also on Instagram at Grace Atwood. <laughs> goodbye for now. Goodbye for now. Feels like you're going on a long boat journey, <laughs> like in the 1800s. Shut up. <laughs> um, I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And I also co-write, direct, and produce a series of podcasts uh, called Rom-Com Pods. Our most recent show is called Showmance. And I would love for you to check it out. All right. Bye, everyone. <laughs> See you after our race's boat journey. (laughs) Goodbye for now. (laughs) Goodbye for now.